Welcome to the message podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. It's uh, great to be worshiping with you here today. Um, I've been thinking here the other week and through this week as well, you ever notice that there's some sayings that we use that are really funky, that we, we use every day in normal language, but we don't always stop to think about what we're saying. Let me, let me give you a few here just to ponder with me here. You ever heard somebody say like, oh, they'll be doing that till the cows come home? Like that kind of thing. Like when did we start telling time by when cows decided to migrate to whatever they call home? Like what time is that? I'm not sure. What about this one? You're setting out to go, maybe you have a performance or an engagement or something you need to do, and somebody uses the phrase, go break a leg. Like, what sick person thought that was a good idea? Like, no, thank you. I'll keep both my legs the way they are. What are we doing? What are we saying with stuff like that? Here's one of my favorites. It just invokes a great mental image. You might hear somebody say, we're talking about a renovation project or something. Ah, they put lipstick on a pig. (laughs) <laughs> just the mental image of trying to catch a pink pig and put lipstick on it. Like, that sounds like something they're going to be doing at the fair here in a couple of weeks. Like, I might want to go watch that. But we say these things, and, and finally, you ever use this one? I catch myself saying it a lot, and I'm starting to reconsider it. There's more than one way to skin a cat. <laughs> like, what on earth did Fluffy do? That we're, we are skinning him, much less that there's multiple ways to get the job done. Like, I, I'm not sure what Fluffy did. Uh, but we were skinning him, and uh, here last week or so, there was a cat like just bellowing to beat the band at 3 a.m. outside our house, and I'm like, this is where it came from. <laughs> it was one morning at 3 a.m., Fluffy got it, okay? But we use these sayings, and we have common language that we all understand and we use, but sometimes we don't always like really think about what we're saying or what it might mean to Fluffy, for example. I have one more for us to consider here this morning. Have you ever heard or said even... I can't help but sin in thought, word, and deed every day. It's one of those sayings that can roll out, and we might even think we're being humble when we say it, but what happens if we just pull back for a moment and think about what we just said? I can't help but sin in thought, word, and deed every day. What are we saying if we were to say that to the face of Jesus? What would that communicate to him? What would that communicate to him about what we think or what we believe or how we feel about what he's done for us? The cross, how he loves us, how his spirit fills us. Welcome back today, friends, to our series, Burning Questions. This series, as we're journeying together this summer, is kind of like walking in on two friends having a heated argument. So if you're visiting with us today or you're just kind of getting used to what we do here, that's kind of what you're walking into is two friends having a heated argument. And right when you step into that door, you see what's going on, you gently shut the door and you just start like backing up and you go commit to drive around the block till things cool off a little bit. 
We all want to avoid hard conversations, me included, but we simply cannot do that as the church. And if we were honest, if we were truthful, if we ever want our relationship with our church, with the people who are sitting in front of you and behind you and to your side, if we ever want that relationship to actually take meaning and take depth and growth, we can't avoid these hard topics. We must be able to come humbly and graciously together and work through some hard things. Because the the brokenness and the pain that we encounter in the world is hard and it is heavy. And so we must commit to being gracious together and, and committing to working through things together, even the hard stuff, even the hard questions, when we would just as soon shut the door and take a couple steps back. If you would like to go back, this is week three in our series, if you would like to go back and and hear the questions that we began. So our, our series began looking at the question, would a loving God really send someone to hell? It's a really hard question. Last week, we looked at this idea, and we asked the question, do you really believe the Bible is true? And so if any of those questions today ring true in your heart, or you want to see how we committed to navigate those questions in grace and love for one another and for the Lord, you can go and do that at our website, again, at cotnas.org. There's a tab up in the top right that says Watch Listen. You can catch all the audio from our sermons here. Uh, So I encourage you to go check that out. Or if you know someone that is wrestling with those questions, engage that with them together. Today's question is a little different because it involves a statement and a question, but it is no less challenging to work through and is no less meaningful. Our question today and statement says, I am a Christian, but I still sin. What's wrong with me? I'm a Christian. I I believe in Jesus. I, I try to follow him, but I still struggle sometimes. Is there something wrong with me? Have you ever been there? Is that something maybe you've wrestled with secretly or quietly, maybe even today? Sometimes we can feel like we're the only ones that struggle. Like everybody all around us has got their Sunday good stuff on, and they didn't have an argument on the way to church like we just did. Everybody's got it all going together. Everything's cool except for our life, except for my life. Have you ever been there? ever wondered why that struggle of you wrestled with that idea. This question today, friends, impacts every single one of us, and it also impacts every single person who will ever come to know Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So how do we go about it? How do we go about unpacking this? We each come from so many different stories. There's so many different walks and so many beautiful testimonies within this room, even here this morning. How do we come from so many different places to one point and answer this question? As we begin today, I I think it's going to be important that we clarify some terms together, that we clarify some terms. Words matter, right? We know that. We engage words and language every day to communicate meaning and ideas and imagery. We engage language all the time. But within that, we we also understand that depending on maybe what generation you're from or what location geographically you're from or how where you're from in the county even can use language differently. And when we know this within our relationships, like guys, if you hear your wife say something to the tune of, I'll be ready in five more minutes. She does not mean for you to set a timer for five minutes, okay? Save your life, save your marriage, don't set a timer. 
That means she'll be there when she's good and ready. Now, ladies, ladies, when you see your husband watching there the game on the TV and you're like ready to go, you've got things to do, we need to get this show on the road. And he hollers from the room, the game's almost over. <clears throat> he doesn't mean that. He means that those last 11 minutes of the game are going to take out a best guess an hour. We engage language differently. We use terms differently. So today, we're going to jump in and approach our question to clarify two critically important terms within this statement and within this question so that we can approach it together and hopefully we will understand the weight and the magnitude of the statement and the question that we're working with today. So we're going to pray and then we're going to jump in. Would you bow with me? Father in heaven, we, we want to... Lord, understand you. Lord, we want to understand relationship with you and what you have called us to and what's available in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, um, we want to understand your terms, your definitions today, what you mean. And so, God, will you open our hearts today? May we surrender our ideas to you. Lord, may we humble ourselves before your word and before the leading and to the leading of your Holy Spirit in our hearts today. Come, Lord Jesus. We are desperate for you. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we begin to jump in today, the first place I want to stop and the first term I want to understand together is Christian. What do we mean when we say, I am a Christian? What do we mean? If you meet someone or you encounter someone and they say, oh, I'm a Christian, what do you think you know about them? What comes to mind? What do you assume that person is saying? Do we assume that they're on, in church on Sundays or they're watching online or they're engaging something like that? Do we presume that when they say, I'm a Christian, that their lives maybe look a certain moral and ethical way? How would you define what it means? If I brought you the microphone today, what, what would you say? How would you define what it means to be a Christian? To explain and try to put words to that, does your mind go to what we're doing right here, to the church, to the building? Do you think that being a Christian means maybe doing certain things and not doing others, using certain language or not using certain language? Like, is that where our minds go? You may even think of old cliche sayings, since we're into sayings today, you ever heard, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't run with those that do. Like, is that really all there is to it. Is that the essence, really, of being a Christian? For our understanding today, friends, as we embark together, we need to understand and to view this idea when we say, I'm a Christian, and what that means, that to be a Christian is to be in a personal, intimate, genuine relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian today. Christianity at its core is not just beliefs, it's not just ritual or tradition, though it may include and be expressed in some of those things, but the essential element, if you take it all away, the essential element of what it means to be a Christian is to be in an active relationship with the resurrected, living, present person of Jesus Christ himself. That's a good news invitation today, friends. 
that we're not just ascribing to a building or a group of people or a set of moral conduct. We are saying, I am in a passionate, intimate, abiding relationship with the person of Jesus. That's much more profound than just ascribing to a certain way of living. Now, there's going to be some things that change because, friends, the truth of this relationship in Jesus is that it literally changes everything in your life. But we're changing, and it's molded out of a place of relationship with a person. Christianity is nothing apart from personal and intimate relationship with Jesus himself. This is not just another Facebook friend or a casual acquaintance that you give the nod to as you pass in food line. This is a relationship that transcends our lives, that changes our hearts and our minds and our relationships. Being a Christian is being known by Jesus himself. This relationship changes everything. Would you turn with me today in your copy of Scripture to 1 John, 1 John, beginning in chapter 2. So if you cruise past Hebrews and past Peter, you're going to run right into John. If you hit Revelation, back up a little bit. 1 John, chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. We're going to look at this idea of what it means. What does this, re- what does this relationship mean? First off, we're going to look at this idea that to be a Christian means to live a transformed life. Would you turn with me at, and begin at verse 3 in chapter 2? He says, we know that we have come to know him, him, Jesus. We have come to know Jesus if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. And this in him idea is John's language. It's his lingo for talking about being in relationship with Jesus. This is how we know we are in relationship with Jesus. He is in us. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. When we enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ, his life is birthed within us. We have an entirely new makeup that we're living out of now. It's entirely new and it's entirely different. We are transformed from the inside out by his grace and his mercy. Since we are now categorically different, who we are is no longer who we used to be. How we go about our every day is now going to be different too. Because we are categorically different in Christ Jesus The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Bless you. The old has gone and the new is here. We are categorically different. Something has changed when we enter into relationship and passionate presence with Jesus. We live transformed lives. We live as Jesus lived. That's an essence of Christianity. Being a Christian also means transformed relationships with others. Read with me in chapter 2, starting in verse 9. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light, see, more language here. John will say, be in the light, to be a Christian, to be in Jesus, to be known by him. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. 
Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. So as we come to know Jesus and he, his life is birthed within us, our relationships and our interactions are now molded after his life that is alive within us. It transforms our relationships. And finally, to be a Christian, to live out of this intimacy with Jesus means that we have a renewed outlook on the world. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. He's going to qualify the world here in just a moment. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, here he's going to tell you, give you the list. He says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. It's fleeting. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Friends, when we say we are a Christian and we enter into relationship with Jesus, we have a totally transformed and renewed outlook on the world. We live for a different kingdom. We don't have to ascribe to the value system of the world, to the current of the day. No, we are fixed in eternity in God's plan because we have a totally renewed set of priorities, a totally renewed outlook on life. And I, I remember this so much from my own story. I remember when, uh, so I, in brief, I, I grew up a, in a church and gave my life to the Lord early, but I hit teenage years and, and took a, a turn away that lasted entirely too long. Um, but in that, in that rebellion, in that season of, of rebellion, I was so fixated on Christianity being thou shalt's and thou shalt not's. I couldn't see the intimacy and the passion that was really intended in relationship with Jesus. I took the bait of the enemy to believe that it was all about how you acted, and it was all about don't do this, don't do that. And well, when you're a teenager, you don't want to hear it, do you? And so I was on this pattern of rebellion, just don't tell me what to do, God. Go away, leave me alone. And Pastor Jim Harrison, who we're celebrating his retirement today, he, he always had his eye on me because he knew that I uh, was a part of the church earlier and that I was not a part of the church at that point. Um, and he would occasionally call me to order, if you might say. Uh, we would go out to lunch. And I remember one time we were sitting at Traditions on Mount Clinton Pike, and uh, we, we were talking, and, and he knew I wasn't living right. And, and I, I remember telling that I was not living right. I didn't care. And I remember telling him, I, I said, look, all I need in this life, all I want is a good job, a good home, and a wife. That's all I need. I don't need Jesus. Thank you. I just need these things. I didn't have the right view. Because I thought that if I could just attain those things, if I could just work and do my thing and be left alone, that I would be happy. When we miss the significance of relationship and intimacy with Jesus, that's the lie that we'll get sucked into. I ate it hook, line, and sinker. Another saying. I took it all in thinking that I knew that the world offered some good things and that's all I needed. But when we say we are a Christian, we're saying, no, I'm living for a different world. I'm living for the world of God's redemption, of eternity. 
It's a total transformation, friends. To be a Christian, to be in relationship with Jesus radically transforms your life. We tend that relationship with Christ through prayer, through singing the hymns, through praise and worship music. We tend that relationship through abiding. That was our author of our text today. One of his favorite words in his gospel was to abide. Just to spend time in the presence of God because it's relational. It's intimate. That's the essence of Christianity, friends. That's the essence. It's a relationship that will change your life. So that's the first key area that we're going to look at today. And it's profound because it makes you ask the question, am I a Christian? Does my definition, does my life line up? Am I a Christian? The second piece we want to look at today as we look at today's burning question What do we mean by sin? What do we mean by sin? When we say, I'm a Christian, yet I sin, what are we saying? And in light of what we have discussed, we know that we're now asking or having a relational conversation, a relational look at this idea. What do we mean by sin? What really is going on there? What are we trying to convey has happened? What do we mean? We know through the New Testament, the Greek word that was often translated, there's many different words that were used for sin, but hamartia is the Greek word that often was translated for sin. And it means to to miss the mark, to, to come up short. One definition I found said to wander off the paths of righteousness, to know the path that we are to walk, to maintain intimacy with Jesus, but to wander off of that, simply to violate God's law of love, to sin. We're pretty familiar with that. We encounter that. But don't we also understand a little bit differently that there's more to sin than just wrongdoing? I believe it was author and scholar N.T. Wright that said sin is not just wrongdoing, it's wrong being. Because we understand that by sin there's a nature at work. That there is a bend in our very heart that is averse to God, that is focused on self. It's like going to the lumber pile at Lowe's and picking up a two-by-four trying to find a straight one. You'll find all those that have a twist in them. And friends, the twist that is in our heart, in our carnal nature, is always a bend towards self. It's always a bend away from God. We have a sinful nature. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Rome in chapter 7, verse 21, he says this, So this principle I have discovered, so I've learned this, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. That's, whew, right? Like, did he just read yesterday in my life? But there is a pull or a bend or a twisting, and it's in every one of us. Have you ever noticed nobody has to teach a child to sin? To be bad, <laughs> to, to think that their diaper or their passy is just theirs and thou shalt not share. Like, nobody, no parent teaches their kid that. But there is a nature at work within even our tiniest little ones that is always turned towards ourselves. It's a nature. And we know, friends, that from that scripture, 
that that carnal nature is at work. And we recognize that tendency, don't we? Let's look again in 1 John. Let's go to chapter 1, verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8. He says, if we claim to be without sin, to be without that bent, to be without having ever done wrong, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So right here, friends, we can tell that we're all in this together, that if we're trying to deny that nature, trying to deny those faults, we're kidding ourselves, right? We're all guilty of missing the mark. So if we briefly just step back to our question, I'm a Christian, but I still sin. What's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you that is not wrong with every single one of us. But doesn't, doesn't the enemy of our soul come in and say, no, you're the only one. Everybody else around you, they got it all figured out. You're the only one that's struggling. You're the only one that's messed up. Don't we hear that? He tries to say that we have to be shamed, that we have to isolate ourselves from our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. And along with that great swindle of shame, he comes in and puts the guilt on it and says, oh, no, 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 you can't take that to the Lord. You're all alone. He's going to reject you. He doesn't want to see your failures. You ever heard that? You ever wrestled with that weight and that guilt? That's the enemy of our soul trying to corral us into the corner because if he can succeed in keeping us away from our relationship with Jesus, he is succeeding in keeping us away from everything that we need to really thrive in Christ and to really thrive in life. Because we hide and we feel like we're the only ones and we take the bait and we keep ourselves from true healing and redemption in Christ. We so desperately need forgiveness and reconciliation with Jesus. And so the enemy's number one goal is to keep us isolated, keep us in the corner, keep us thinking that we're the only ones. Friends, if you're there today, if you recognize that, there is hope. There is grace and mercy available for you. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Don't stay in the corner of shame and guilt. Don't stay there. Don't deprive yourself from what you're longing for, for forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation. Step out of that dark place. And that's where John goes in our text here just next, in verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness we must bring our sins our shortcomings before the lord we can't take the bait of the enemy that says we can't or that we need to hide we must bring those things before the lord we need to turn away from those things that's what confession, that essence of coming before the Lord, it's, it's a coming out of hiding. It's a stopping the excuses, stopping the blame game, stopping the shifting of what you know to be true in your heart and just to come before him in honesty. There's a saying in Celebrate Recovery that says, you are only as sick as your secrets. How true is that? You're only as sick as your secrets. There's power in bringing that into the light. 
not keeping those secrets. When we confess, we're taking ownership before him. We're literally saying the same thing about our sin that he says. We're expressing our desire to the Lord in a remorseful heart and a desire to change. We want to turn away from what's killing us and re-enter that relationship with Jesus. When we confess. When we come in confession before him, we're in agreement with him about our sin, about that we can't continue to follow that, we can't continue to wander off that path. And he is faithful and just to forgive us. And that opens the door to healing and freedom. But we, I just want to be clear right here for a moment. If we're coming in genuine remorse, we're tired of our sin, we're remorseful over what we've done, if we're confessing, if we're bringing that to the Lord, we are therefore not continuing to return to that sin on purpose. Now that seems simple. Or it seems like I've overstated something obvious. But think about that. If we're truly repentant, if we're truly serious about our relationship with Jesus, we cannot continue to choose to sin on purpose. There's a mutually exclusive to say, oh, I'm in love with Jesus, I'm a Christian, I'm following him, but I'm still going to choose to live like I'm not. We can't be fooled into thinking that God just laughs that off or just winks at it and forgets. All sin is serious. Just a few chapters and verses later, John says in chapter 3, verse 4, he said, everyone who sins breaks the law. It's like, okay, we got that. And he goes on, he says, in fact, sin is lawlessness. That word lawlessness there is is a spurning of the law. It's a rejection of what we know to be right on purpose. It's intentful. One author, when I was studying this week, he said it this way. He said, lawlessness or unrighteousness is willful rejection of the truth in affection and action. It is wrongness in opposition to the truth. Friends, we cannot sincerely say that we're followers of Jesus. We're giving him our all that we know Scripture has called us to do. We cannot genuinely say that we are there, and yet we also continue to choose to sin. There's a difference in willful disobedience and a mistake. And we know that in our own relationships. If someone betrays you on purpose willfully, there's a far deeper wound than a mistake. Friends, we must commit. We must commit in that relationship. John goes on in verse 6 in chapter 3. He says, no one who lives in him, in Christ Jesus, keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin, he's talking about being on purpose here. No one who continues to sin, willfully disobeys, has either seen him or known him. What a profound and piercing statement. We cannot with sincerity love Jesus and love sin. We can't. We can't. We have to choose. We have to choose. All sin is serious. The smallest thing that only you and nobody know about is killing you. Because it's, sin is, is in our hearts. It's got its fingers, its tentacles around our hearts. And when we continue to say yes to it, we give it more power. But when we say no and we say yes to Jesus and ask him to transform us, things change. 
That's where there's power and freedom in Christ Jesus. We must stop choosing to sin. I must stop choosing to sin. When you have a bad attitude or you encounter somebody you disagree with and you know what's right but you just want to give them a what for and you choose to give them the what for instead of loving, that's this. I've got to stop doing that. We've got to stop doing that if we're to be serious about our relationship with Jesus. Let's pick back up in our text at chapter 1, verse 9. So we see here that it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Notice this part, friends. He says, And purify us from all unrighteousness. Not only does God desire to forgive us, to give us a clean slate, but Scripture right here says that he desires to purify, to cleanse our heart from that twist, that bend towards self, that sinful nature that we all have. This is a game changer, friends. This is the game-changing moment in your life and relationship with Jesus because he is faithful to forgive, but he is longing to purify and fill your heart, to take that bent towards self and towards sin out of your life so that you don't desire to sin anymore. Can you imagine that life? That's what God's longing to do. That's what he's calling us for. That's a prayer that says, not only, Lord, forgive me, it starts there, but it ends with, Lord, change me. Change me so I don't desire these things anymore, so that I'm not bent towards myself, so I'm not leaning towards the wrong thing anymore. God desires to purify our hearts and to fill us with his presence. And friends, this is the moment that transcends eternity in your life because it will change the trajectory of every day from here on out. When you are filled with his spirit, you have a pure heart, and your heart and your mind are going to do battle every day. And it's not easy. It's not just roses and a vacation. But you have a new power within you that's in Christ Jesus in his spirit. And everything is different. It changes your life. It changes your relationship with Jesus. It changes your relationship with others. It transforms your outlook on the world. When we're living in a pure heart full of His Spirit, everything we do is under His influence, His guidance, is surrendered to Him. Going to school, going to work, being retired, every batch of cookies you bake is sanctified in Christ Jesus because you are filled with His presence. It's a game changer, friends. It's a game changer. It's by grace. Through faith in him. It says, Lord, change me. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to do those things. I don't even want the desire. I don't even want to sin, Lord. Because I value my relationship with you more than anything in this world has to offer. That's life with a pure heart. That's holiness. It's being entirely surrendered to his will and his way. So I'm a Christian, but I still sin. What's wrong with me? We've seen that there's nothing wrong with you specifically. What's wrong is the same nature that is within all of us. From the youngest one in nursery neighborhood to the oldest in the room. You're not alone today. You're not alone 
Don't buy into that lie of the enemy that says you are. What would be wrong today is to deny those things. To think that that sin, that, that thing that you only know about or maybe only happens at night when the computer's on and nobody's around, those things that are in your life, what would be tra- tragic today, friends, is to think that God doesn't know and he doesn't care. Because sin breaks God's heart. Sin is a fracture of that relationship that we're made to have with him. What would be wrong would be to just think it's okay. To think that it doesn't matter. All sin is serious and all sin is detrimental to your relationship with Jesus. As the band begins to come today, you might be hearing a voice today. You might be hearing a voice that says something like, he's not talking about that. That voice in your mind that is going through the story of your life. That voice is stopping at that scene and says, he's not talking about this. That's, that's too dirty. That's, that's too dark. You've done that too many times. You can't, he's, he's not talking about this. You might hear that voice that says, you can't, you can't bow in prayer here. You can't truly seek this. What do other people think? What if they know? Friends, that's the sound of guilt. That's the song of shame that the enemy is singing in your ear, trying to get you to stay away from life in Christ Jesus. We'll never find freedom living in those lies. There's hope today. If you've heard nothing else, there's hope today. You're not alone. No matter what you've done, how many times you've done it, no matter who knows, no matter how long ago it was, there's hope today. God is is not angry at you. What you've done is not too bad for him to forgive. The cross took care of it. There's nothing that you can bring before him today that he's going to be surprised about. Nothing. Nothing. So friend, that thing that you're carrying, that burden that you walked in with, the lies that have propelled you into shame and to guilt, friends, stop today. Will you receive the invitation of grace to find freedom in Christ Jesus, to find forgiveness and reconciliation into that relationship with him? We began today with a few sayings that we use a lot. Have you ever said this one or used this one? Sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. It's been a long struggle. Just in our house a couple weeks ago, we would get over one little bug, then daycare would send home another, then they would send home another. Like we were sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired in your heart today? In your spiritual life? Are you sick and tired of that struggle of taking that relentless beating from the enemy that says you're a failure, you're never good enough, what you've done is too far, are you tired of that beating today? Are you tired of that struggle even? Did you walk in today just saying, Lord, do something one more time? 
Save me from what I'm in. Renew my life. Change it. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired today? When he talks about purifying your heart, he's talking about renewing and giving you a totally new operating system, a totally new way to live. You don't have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired anymore. You can live out of the power of the Holy Spirit alive within you. We operate out of a place of purity, out of a place of holiness, out of a place of pure love that comes from Jesus. You don't have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired anymore. Will you ask him today to fill your heart to overflowing with his presence? And friends, uh, the stories and the testimonies of people that have experienced this, they vary widely, but there's almost always something that we're clinging to, that we're more committed to than our relationship with Jesus. And it might be something good. But to be that total surrender is the gateway to that infilling. Where we don't want anything in the world more than we want to be filled with the relationship and love and passion and power of Jesus Christ. That's holy living. That's so far beyond rules and regulations, it's not even in the same book. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired today? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. God, I, I, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Lord, you, you don't want us to live that way. You don't. Lord, we can find life in you. Oh God, will you fill us today, your people. May, will you show us, Lord, will you show us what we're clinging to instead of you? Search our hearts, oh God. May we choose relationship. May we choose obedience. God, may we have your spirit overflowing from us. God, change everything. Change it all. Change it all. Friends, I invite you today as heads are bowed, as eyes are closed, if you want to assume a posture of kneeling at your chair, if you want to stand and worship, find the posture that allows you to be abiding with the presence of Jesus that is in this room right now to come out of that hiding, to stop that song of shame, to throw off the weight of guilt, to find freedom and redemption in Christ Jesus. There's nothing in your life today that he doesn't long to redeem. Let's continue in an attitude of prayer as we worship. Lord, we love you. We are desperate for you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.